0: I keeping on, keeping on keeping on, keeping on Good afternoon, good evening. This is Dove Tusman, and you are back on equal footing. We've had a couple of week break. You know, just the way that, the Jewish holidays have fallen over the last couple of years. This was actually the first time in years that we were off the air because both of the last Thursdays uh, landed on the Yom Tov's and the, and the Passover days. where We don't do work and uh, it's nice to be back and happy Easter. Or happy blade Easter, those uh, who were off uh, for that reason. I think all the school breaks are done. We decided to inaugurate kind of, this epic of the season of equal footing, going back to our roots of a interfaith type of discussion around kind of an esoteric topic, but one that I've always found fascinating around ritual immersion. You know, in Judaism, the mikvah, the pool of water in which we immerse ourselves, and we'll talk about what that's about for our non-Jewish listeners or our somewhat maybe non-observant Jewish listeners in a moment, is a core Aspect, very mystical aspect, of the observance of the Jewish faith. There's something quite similar, different in certain respects, but quite similar in Christianity, around the baptism that's common to almost all Christian denominations. We could have extended this to talk about Islam. I think it's the ghusl, the in Islam, the, the immersive uh, experience there. But the ties between Judaism and Christianity in this respect, I think, are in a sense more interesting. We've got a couple of wonderful guests that have been on the show before and are not afraid to get into the esoteric, the complex, the mystical. Let's start by introducing Professor David Weddle. I always so enjoy having on the program. I learn so much. Professor Weddle is a PhD from Harvard. He's Professor Emeritus of Religion at Colorado College. He's taught courses over decades in comparative theology and ethics, American religions, and the philosophy of religion in general. He served as a chair of religious studies departments. He's been active on faculty committees. He was chosen as a senior scholar in his region, in the kind of rocky Great Plains region of the American Academy of Religion, and was named the David and Lucille Packard chair as well. He's taught at Cornell College, where he also chaired the Department of Religion for 20 years. He's a lifetime honorary member of the American Academy of Religion. He's the author of some wonderful books that I recommend Write these down. Miracles, Wonder and Meaning in World Religions. We did a show a year or two ago on on miracles. It's a, it's a beautiful and informative book. And he also has written a book comparatively across the Abrahamic faiths of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam called Sacrifice, Sacrifice in Those Three Faiths. That was published more recently in 2017. He's written many scholarly uh, articles and book reviews. And his current essays have been examining the role of religion in American politics, which we also want to cover more on the show. Professor Weddle lives in Woodland Park, Colorado, one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Professor Weddle, welcome back. We got you? Hopefully we've yes, got you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're probably on mute. Thanks for joining us again. and I want to introduce another wonderful guest who brings great subject matter expertise, Rivka Slonim. Rivka is the associate director of the Chabad Center for Jewish Student Life at Binghamton University in upstate New York. She's a self described Hasidic feminist. I love that. Uh, Rivka Slonim is an internationally known teacher, lecturer, and activist. She travels widely. She addresses the intersection of traditional Jewish, Jewish observance and contemporary life, something we try to do sometimes successfully on this show. And she has a special focus on Jewish women in Jewish in Jewish law or halacha and in Jewish life more generally. Uh, Miss Slonim is the editor of Total Immersion, a mikvah anthology, of course, completely apropos to tonight, uh, republished most recently in 2006, a wonderful um, tome on this subject, as well as the book Bread and Fire, Jewish Women Find God in the Every Day. Most recently, Rivka was the co-author with Sarah uh, Murazov of a book titled Holy Intimacy, the Heart and Soul of Jewish Marriage. Ms. Slonim serves on the editorial boards of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute, the Tamim Academy, and the Institute of Jewish Spirituality and Society. She's also a senior lecturer at the Beis Chana Institute for Women's Learning. She and her husband are the proud parents of nine children, which I love. Favorite part of the bio. (laughs) Rivka, thanks for joining us again.
1: Thank you for having me, Joe. and
0: hi, Dr. Whittle. All right, Rivka, let's start us off. I think one of the things that if, unless you're totally, no pun intended, immersed in this subject, um, it's it's somewhat confusing to read, as I recently did prepping for the show, that the mikvah has been around for about 2,000 years. And I thought, wait a minute, you know, we've been around as Jews for significantly longer than that. Uh, thousands of years longer, almost, and yet, I guess there's a there's a time at which the the mandate to wash in the Torah becomes something that we that we identify with with total immersion in a mikveh. Give us the history for a moment. What is the mikveh? What was happening before the mikveh? When did it come along? Give us a sense, especially for the non-Jewish listeners. W- what is this word mikveh? And how does it connect to our faith?
1: Well. I'm not sure where you read that it's around 2,000 years. I could see why you would find that confusing on many levels. Uh, but I would say the word mikvah goes all the way back to the Jewish Bible. It's actually in the ninth, uh, the 10th verse of Genesis. The word mikvah is used, and it refers to the gatherings of water. So the biblical word mikvah actually means a gathering of water. Seventy percent of our planet is actually covered with mikvah, with water. And you could actually say that the world entire emerged out of a mikvah, because the first description the Bible gives of the universe is the Spirit of God hovering above the waters, which is really a mikvah. And it's after that that God says that the waters have to gather and allow for dry land, for terra firma, because, of course, the world was created so that God could have a relationship with humanity and we could have a relationship with God. Um, it's been around in different iterations for a very long time, ever since then. Uh, we have a tradition of Adam sitting in a body of water after he left the garden, after he was banished, uh, to seek atonement. We have a very strong tradition of the Jews immersing in a mikvah, all of them having to immerse in a body of water before they stood at Sinai for the great revelation. Um, and we've had an uninterrupted uh, history of mikvah usage from then until today. Now, of course, it was very different around the temple times and the temple rites than it is today. I'm happy to go into the difference, uh, but yes, it's a, it's a long and storied relationship with mikvah. It's a it's a core, like you said, it's a core ritual. It's a foundational idea, and it's the single most important institution in Jewish life. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to get back to that issue of timing afterwards, and maybe I shouldn't have led with that, but I still hold some confusion. However, there's a great orientation for the kind of my simple way of thinking about it. It's a pool of water, right? But it also has to have a running water component. Is that correct?
1: Well, I think it's important to um, say from the get-go that, like I said, any natural body of water is a mikvah. But because natural bodies of water... Uh, present challenges like they could be dangerous, they could be inaccessible, they could be polluted, uh, there could be inclement weather, there could be lack of privacy and other issues. Jews have been building what I call the domesticated mikveh for a very long time. And perhaps that's what you were reading about. The most ancient, uh, um, mikveh built, um, built, a built mikveh, the most ancient one we have in extent is the one on top of Mitzada. It's an archaeological treasure.
0: Yeah there's so much there's so much to talk about here archaeologically and, and really- anthropologically so before we come back to the differences in kind of ritual in ritual immersion versus washing in general uh, let's turn to you for a moment professor weddle just to tie this into Early Christianity and we'll get into kind of current practice later, but even someone with a passing familiarity with the Christian faith will have heard of John the Baptist, who of course was, was Jewish, uh, Yohanan, some refer to him as his original name. And what was going on there? What was, was John the Baptist actually doing something that was a mikveh ceremony? How does that tie into the Jesus figure in the Christian faith? Give us a little bit of your erudition.
2: Well, uh, John the Baptist, of course, is a Jewish figure who appears in the New Testament uh, as a kind of prophet who is calling the people to repentance, and so he practiced baptism uh, as a sign of renewal to the covenant. Uh, Jesus is baptized by John. Uh but the tradition maintains that Jesus was not sinful, and therefore the baptism was a more a sign of his obedience to the prophetic tradition
0: now in christian in Christian denominations, before we get to our first break and start to dive into some of the esoterica here and the interesting differences the in, in at a lar- at a high level there's a big difference in the in the um regularity of this, right? In in Judaism, you will get to the times you, you're supposed to immerse in the, in the mikvah as a woman or a man. But in Judaism, we do it throughout our whole lives. And particularly, um, in, you know, from being a teen onwards in Christianity, as I understand it, it may be for some denominations it only happens once in life or max twice in life. So it's, it's a, it's a really different type of, um, I don't know, a level of importance, or it's it's, uh, it's got different spiritual significance. Would that be a, a good way to think about it?
2: Yes, I think baptism represents an initiation into the Christian community. So it is seen as a public profession of faith, which one makes once in one's lifetime. The difficulty here is that many Christians practice infant baptism, uh, Infants, of course, are incapable of making a profession of faith, and so there are godparents that stand in for them and pledge to bring this child up in the Christian faith. Where where the mikvah and the bab, baptistry uh, come into parallel is that the mikvah is used also for those who convert to the Jewish faith. So to enter the mikvah, to come out of the mikvah, is a kind of death to one's old life and a rebirth to the new.
0: Now, Rivka, sorry for the interruption, Professor Weddle. Before we go to our first break, that is a common uh, area of usage between the two faiths. We also immerse ourselves in the mikvah if we're converting to Judaism in, in uh, most conversions, certainly in Orthodox conversion. Uh, Rivka, for the uninitiated, Today, in today's practice, when are the times when a Jew will immerse themselves in the mikvah?
1: Well, I'll say that there are three usages of the mikvah in this modern time. And when I say modern, I should clarify: in this what many call post-Temple time, in this post-Temple period, um, there are three usages. Like mentioned, the most dramatic is the conversion, it's the crescendo, the last aspect of conversion to the Jewish faith, both men and women. Um, There is conversion of uh, pots and dishes made of certain materials, anything used to prepare food, to cook food, and to serve food made of certain materials must be immersed in the mikvah before usage, according to Jewish law. And the one that's probably most well-known, but not well-known enough, is mikvah as the nexus of the Jewish marital cycle, where a woman in her um, childbearing years, as long as she's menstruating, would immerse in the mikvah one week after she's ascertained that her menstrual period has ended. And when she emerges from the mikvah, very much like in the conversion model, she emerges transformed, whereas before there was a ritual impurity that rested upon her, and... um, According to the Bible, it was prohibited for she and her husband to engage in sexual intimacy. When she comes out, that is no longer the case, and the couple can resume their sexual relationship.
0: So in Judaism, it's a lot about washing away impurity at a, at a high level. Would that is that correct?
1: I would say yes. It's about transformation from a situation of impurity to purity.
0: And it seems, Professor Weddle. That in Christianity, it's, it's, it's not really that. I mean, it's related, but is it fair to say that it's, it's, it's about a different level of spiritual transformation, not necessarily about re- washing away impurity, or is that common ground between the mikvah and baptism? Professor Waddle, you may be on mute.
2: Yes, the baptism of children, uh, is a matter of cleansing of sin. Uh, St. Augustine taught that children are cleansed of original sin by baptism, uh, and then consequently they will go through confession to be cleansed of other sins. So the, the basic model here, though, which is true of all water rituals across religious traditions, is one of death and rebirth. Water is a medium both of birth and
0: of death. Yeah. And we'll and get so, to that because there's a sorry we're going to take, take our first break but I do want to talk about the relationship with the womb and the grave that's been talked about a lot of, a lot of scholars. It seems I got this one wrong professor Weddle, just to, that there is in both faiths there is kind of a, a washing away of impurity or a washing away of, of 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 sin in the in kind of Christian lexicon.
2: Yes, that's oh. that's right.
0: We're going to take our first break. We are talking about ritual immersion, the connection between the mikvah Judaism, the, the practice of baptism in the Christian faiths. We'll get more into it here with Professor David Weddle and Rifka Slonim, both subject matter experts, religious historians. We'll be right back on equal footing. if you want to participate in this conversation, give us mikvah stories, mikvah confusions, baptism confusions, baptism stories. You can dial you can dial directly to be on air at 718303, 9090 we are live that's 718-303-9090 you can if you're shy or you don't want to wait on hold text in or whatsapp in a question or comment to our guests 917-428-4062 don't call that number please that's just for texts and whatsapps 917-428-4062 and we'll be right back Surrender to the good law and I wipe your slate, clean Take me to your river, I want to go. Now, on Equal Footing, we endeavor to talk about difficult subjects that are on our minds where we sometimes need guidance and help. We might be confused and are difficult sometimes to talk about. One of those things, and there's no shame in addressing this, is erectile dysfunction. It can have an impact, of course, on physical intimacy and also emotional intimacy in couples. And it affects in the vicinity of two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. There is an organization that's dedicated to helping in a confidential, discreet way on this issue. And particularly, focus on all families, but particularly Jewish families. And it's called Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical Associates has been in business for decades, and they use a particular type of therapy for erectile dysfunction that has no side effects and doesn't have the same concerns around comorbidities that those expensive blue pills do. It's called Gaines Wave Therapy. It's been around in Europe for many years, more recently in Canada, and just over the last few years introduced in the United States. It's effective on the vast Majority of patients, it has enduring, low cost, no side effect, no surgery, surgery approach to ED. Find out about it. Call Manhattan Medical. You don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in New York. You have to be somewhere in the United States and you can get a teleconsult. I'll tell you about the deal you get if you heard about it on equal footing, but I'll give you the number first. It's 888-332-8739. That's from Manhattan Medical's ED Cure. That's 888. 888- 332 8739 in letters 888 ED Cure 9. Now, I told you I'd tell you about the deal. If you call Manhattan Medical and operators are standing by almost all the time and you mention that you heard about it on equal footing, you get a free first consult that is not available to you if you come in out of the blue. That's a $250 value. So call Manhattan Medical about their ED Cure an enduring remedy called Gaines Therapy. No side effects. The number 888-332-8739 or 888-ED-CURE9. We're back talking about ritual immersion with Professor David Weddle and Rifka Sloney. We've got some interesting questions already have come in. Uh, so we've established some common ground. Uh, there's a uh, washing away of impurity in the Jewish lexicon and uh, washing away of sin, if you will, the Christian lexicon. Before we move off of the connection, because it's pretty obvious. I mean, John the Baptist, Professor Weddle was Jewish and was doing Ceremonies with other Jews that were really mikvah ceremonies. At what point in, I don't want to go totally down this rabbit hole, but at what point in the evolution of Christianity did the terminology change from mikvah to baptism?
2: Hmm. Well, let me say that the baptism that was practiced by John the Baptist um, was did not involve the details that Rivka just discussed uh, regarding the mikvah. So the baptism was a sign of repentance and renewal to the covenant. Uh, and in that respect, John the Baptist is very much like the Pharisees at the time, who also practiced that kind of baptism, a kind of initiatory rite. But I would want to emphasize that, that the common symbolic structure here is one of death and rebirth. Uh, I I don't know if Rivka would agree that the mixo represents an immersion uh, into a kind of symbolic death to an old life, and then a, a rebirth into a new one. For example, very early Christians practiced nude baptism in order to emphasize the childlike character of coming out as a new
0: bird. Let's take a, let's pause right there for a second. So Rivka, for the uninitiated, first of all, when you go into the mikvah, can you describe it for a second for someone who may not have done it? Do you have clothing on? How do you do it? Men and women are separated, that type of thing.
1: Okay. Well, if you're a woman and you're going as part of the marital intimacy cycle, and you're fulfilling the biblical mandate to do so, then you're preparing before you go into the mikvah because it's a monthly cycle. So you've been um, you've not been having sexual intimacy from when your menstrual period begins until the week after it ends. You would um, make regular examinations, internal examinations to um be sure that you're no longer menstruating. On the day that you go to the mikveh, you would carefully, um, wash away anything that might come between you and the waters of the mikveh. So it's very clear that it's not about physical hygiene. This is about immersion of the soul. And I would say different from how Professor Weddle is describing it as a death of sorts of the old and ushering it in a new life. I would say it's more about ascending in level. It's about transformation and specifically elevation. And are you which going is why sorry, which is why it was part of the uh, it was so integral to the temple rite and culture. Um, in temple times I think any four or five year old child could have pointed you in the direction of the five closest mikvahot. Because to get into the temple you had to be in a state of ritual purity, which meant you had to immerse in a mikvah. Um, one can incur ritual impurity. most of it is different iterations of coming in contact with death yeah so and death is part of life, so if you found yourself under the under a tent where there was a, a corpse or uh, you stumbled mm-hmm. over a dead animal or other more subtle um iterations of death, you became ritually impure, and in every case it involved immersion in the mikvah before you could enter the temple.
0: And Rivka, you're going into the mikvah, whether you're a woman or a man, men will often go in before Shabbos, certainly before Yom Kippur, these types of Mm -hmm. moments. You're going in unclothed, right? You're going in kind of as close to your pure self. You're going in
1: you're going in unclothed, and not only unclothed, but like I said earlier, you're preparing your body so that nothing comes between mm-hmm. the waters of the mikvah and any part of your anatomy. So you're taking so off you're taking jewelry, off your and makeup jewelry. And... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, for women, this is, or for a person, both male or female, that's converting to the Jewish faith, um, this is an absolute prerequisite. For a man who's going to the mikvah, as part of what I'm describing as an ascension spiritual level, then the protocols preceding the mikvah immersion are not the same. They're not as strict, and there's also not the blessing that is said by those who are going for biblically mandated reasons.
0: On the gender side for a moment, is it fair to say in like a very rough sense that the mikvah experience is and ritual is more important for women than for men in Judaism?
1: At this time in history, absolutely. In temple times, it, it devolved equally, both male and female.
0: Yeah, we'll get there some fascinating stuff in, the, uh, yeah, in temple to, times.
1: Yeah, but today, we're talking about mikvah immersion for a woman as part of her monthly cycle. That's absolutely biblically mandated, whereas the instances in which men use the mikvah, with the exception of conversion to the Jewish faith, are all customary.
0: Now, I want to get to this. Concept of the mikveh as symbolic of the uterus, the womb, as well as the grave, in a certain sense. And Professor Wedel had referred to that. In the Christian faith, there are there are Jewish scholars. Professor Jonathan Adler, who's a professor um, of uh, archaeology at Ariel University, who works, studies both halacha and archaeology of the mikvah, is also is someone who shares that view that there is Jewish symbolism as well around the womb and potentially around the grave and kind of a superseding at a mystical level of those. Do you, do you agree with that? Is it kind of stretching?
1: I agree. A too far? And, no, no, I agree. And I think I can explain how that is on one level. We really don't understand exactly what it is that happens under the waters of the mikvah that has such a transformative effect. Um, but some, you know, we do have writings and teachings that allow us uh, a window into this concept. And, it surrounds the idea of what we call bitul, or Mm self-abnegation, or self-nullification. So going into the mikvah is very much about giving up that sense of self and power and prowess and submitting yourself to something larger. And that's where you have the imagery of both the fetus and utero and the soul on the other portal of life in the grave, where we're stripped of that ego and that self-agenda and self-importance, and we realize that we're totally dependent on a larger energy, on a larger source. And it's very interesting that in the Hebrew language, the word for immersion is tovel, mm-hmm. and it's comprised of the same three letters that the word bitel, which is self-nul- self-nullification or abnegation,
0: so before and that we go scene to our,
1: is extremely, you know, important and significant, mystically speaking.
0: Yeah, and I want to get to these differences between kind of washing, rachatz, and, and uh, tavila, and so forth. But before we go to our our our, our next break, uh, Professor Weddle, in one of our pre-game, pre-game conversations, you touched on something in this subject that we've touched on mm-hmm. over the years with you on other programs about this. I think beautiful, and I'm at adi- putting in that adjective, beautiful aspect of Judaism that's very earth connected, where the you know descriptions around the the mikvah construction and Rifko correct me if I'm wrong, there's an element of rainwater catchment, it's something that has that's you know literally under the at uh, under the surface of the earth, it's a pool. Um there this and many other ceremonies in our in our Jewish tradition are very connected to the elements um whereas in in christianity first of all the baptism isn't always totally immersive um in different aspects of it and as i understand it and it's also uh, not saying anything negative it's different it's a little bit more abstracted it's not quite as connected to the to the earthly do i have that right in in summary And, and if i do why what's going on here
2: yeah i think i think you are right uh In the Christian tradition, baptism is called a sacrament, which means that it is an outward sign of an inward grace. So there's, right at the beginning, there's a spiritual interpretation of baptism as bringing one into a new form of life. Uh, That spiritual interpretation is then taken to the next level by Christians who talk about a second baptism, a baptism of the Spirit that follows that of the baptism of water. And that baptism then brings charismatic gifts, speaking in tongues, healing, a kind of second stage of spiritual life. And I guess I would be interested if if Rivka could comment on whether the mikvah, in a sense— while it is an actual immersion in natural elements, is also seen as a kind of preparation for a higher spiritual development. It absolutely
1: is, which is why um, immersion of the mikvah to come into a state of ritual purity was necessary to enter a temple mount compound and into the temple itself. Um, most dramatically, the high priest on the holiest day of the year in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur immersed in a five times before entering the Holy of Holies, which was an area entered only by that holiest of persons on that holiest day of the year. Mm. So mikvah immersion is always a prelude um, to ascending to a higher place, which is why um, it's necessary before the couple resumes marital intimacy because sexuality between a couple that's consecrated onto each other is seen as uh, hmm. conceptually the closest we have to the holy of holies
0: and the holy of holies <laughs> being this 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 center of the the temple when it existed we're going to have to take our next break but i wanted to use a great segue guys i want to talk more about intimacy and how modern at least in the jewish faith the modern use of the mikvah the contemporary use is different in certain respects or we've obviated an aspect of that that existed in temple times and why we'll be right back we're talking about ritual immersion in both the jewish and the christian context the mikvah baptism the connections between the two with two wonderful guests rivka Slonim and professor david Weddle. we'll be right back i've been praying for a
3: Derm. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've
0: been called. All right, we're back on equal footing and I'm Dove Tasman. Anybody who listens to the show knows that I'm a nerd and that I like to get into some of the, the historical uh components, especially when it gets to ancient history. So pardon me that I'm gonna jump try to jump down this rabbit hole for a minute. And Rifka, this refers to how kind of we opened the show and I also wanna give a little props to uh Yakov from Englewood who helped me a little bit about this. The, the reason why I was struggling a little bit before the show to understand when the mikvah comes along in our faith is that in the Torah and professor Adler and others write about this, the, uh, there, so there are many injunctions to wash with water in order to remove various types of ritual impurity. But the verb use is rahats. It's to wash, not necessarily to immerse. And then it isn't until, uh, Mishnaic interpretation to the Mishnah, um, in the early part of the common era, where that gets interpreted as, oh, all those injunctions were really about total immersion in, in a mikveh. And, and archaeologically, um, the oldest mikvahs that have been found are, uh, and this is interesting, Professor Weddle, somewhat contemporaneous with John the Baptist. So the actual mikveh pool as we know it, we may discover ones that are older, um, tend to be at the earliest, around a couple hundred years before the Common Era. So that was where that understanding came from, Rivka, and obviously I'm not an expert. Is that a reasonable summation, or or was the Mishnah commenting on a practice that had already existed for, whatever, 1,500 years prior?
1: The Mishnah was commenting on a practice that existed, and like so many other things that are ambiguous at best in the Bible, very obliquely referenced. Uh, for instance, totafot It should be for something called totafot between your eyes. You know, the Mishnah explains that that's tefillin, that's philacteries, but you don't get those details in the Bible, right. and you certainly don't get the details about a mezuzah, that holy scroll that hangs on the door of the Jewish home. You know, it's just something about writing these words on your doorpost, but... You know, so all of that comes into the Mishnah, but in this way, immersion in the mikvah is no different than any of our other rituals. Okay. You know, it's unpacked in the Mishnah, and it's referenced in the Bible, and in, like I said, oftentimes ambiguous, oblique references.
0: Now, I want to talk about, as promised for the last break, we've had some questions on this, about the mikvah as it relates to sexual intimacy. And oddly, at least in my research, Professor Weddle, how this also connects to Christianity. Now, in temple times, the injunction was very clear. Well, Rifka, just set me straight here. In temple times, after, before we get into what was going on in early Christianity, the, after, um, sexual connection or intercourse, at least, uh, there, there was a mandate to actually, um, also immerse in the mikvah, to go to total level, total purity of tahor, but that, was also combined with some other stuff that related to the temple and ashes and so forth that we can't do anymore. So then that mandate went away. Is that, is that like a, I know that's a very, very, uh, layman's way of describing it, but is that, a, is that a reasonable summation?
1: It seems like you might be confusing a few things.
0: In I temple probably time. Am. <laughs> I actually do. It,
1: well, I don't, I wouldn't go that far, but, um, I don't know anything about ashes surrounding um, sexual intercourse, immersion in the mikvah, and return to the temple. But I will say this, Um, in temple times, different from today, um, any woman who menstruated, whether married or not, would immerse in the mikvah before returning to the temple. Uh, any man who had a seminal emission, whether as part of intercourse or a wet dream or for whatever other reason, uh, would immerse in the mikvah before going to the temple. Now, both of these, uh, both the the emission of semen and menstrual uh, the menstrual flow, are both related to a death of sorts in potential life. Mm-hmm.
0: And so that, but why don't we do that anymore?
1: Okay. So with the destruction of the temple, all of the um, laws surrounding the various sacrifices, the offerings, and the ritual impurities have all basically receded to the backdrop of national consciousness for Jews. But you see the law about separating uh, due to menstruation is listed in Leviticus 18 separate and apart from the impurities surrounding the temple rites. And, so in uh, and therefore, sense,
0: we don't, we don't, those are related to menstruation. Th- those, since they're separated from the temple rights, we can still do those things without the temple being in existence, where the others, the other mandates were tied into the temple's existence. So we, they're, correct. they're obviated for the moment. Correct. Okay. Correct. They've been suspended, I prefer to say. Suspended, yes. And the sun will get reconstituted. <laughs> um, okay. So, Professor Weddle, uh, I, I want to spring this on you. I should have told you this before the show, but it, you know, I feel we've known each other long enough. I can do this in, in some of the background research. For those who have listened to the show for a long time, you know, I'm really into uh, Flavius Josephus, who was a, a Jew converted to Roman practice, was kind of a secret Jew throughout it, was a contemporary, a contemporaneous historical source around the time of the existence of the figure we call Jesus, also the right after the figure that John, John the Baptist. And I was fascinated to read in his histories that the that the uh, the the um, immersion after seminal discharge for uh, the man or sexual intercourse uh, for men and women or menstruation was, according to Josephus, at that time in the first century, uh, common era was a mandate that was a Jewish mandate. There was an early Christian mandate and was even a Roman citizen mandate, like a civil mandate. So this seems to have been pretty broadly accepted at the time. Is this something that you've heard about? How do we make sense of this and why did that stop happening in the Christian faith?
2: Well, I think the attempt to purify after nocturnal emissions, for example, does continue. Um, but in general, I'm going to make a very broad characterization here, I think the Jewish tradition has paid a good deal more attention to matters of sexuality than the Christian has. That is, the early Christians were seeing themselves as entering into a spiritual state, and that marriage, childbirth, all of these were concessions, as it were, to the weakness of the flesh. Not, as in the Jewish tradition, natural um, processes to be celebrated and enjoyed. In fact, the Apostle Paul was somewhat wary about Christians even having children, since the assumption was that Jesus was going to return within... A few years and establish the kingdom of God on
0: earth. It reminds me, Professor yeah. Weddle, of, uh, we have, have had a guest in the show before, Dr. Betsheva Mac- Marcus, who has a great show called uh, The Joy of Text. And she's, she'll often say that in Judaism, uh, sexuality and sex is neutral. It can become something sanctified or become something that's debased. Um, whereas in Christianity, um, a lot of the time it's kind of automatically something that has a, a bit of a negative connotation, if I, if I am interpreting correctly.
2: I think you're correct. I mean, the early Christians highly valued celibacy. Uh, the saints were thought to be beyond sexual desire. Uh, and so, to enter into Christianity at that point was already to to enter into a life that was devoted to spiritual development rather than physical pleasure.
0: Do you agree, Rivka, that in Judaism we're a little bit more, I don't know, I'm, I'm being very uh, um, colloquial in the way I say this, but we're kind of more comfortable, as it were, with, with sex and sexuality as it connects to spirituality?
1: In fact, we understand through the prism of Jewish theology that the only way we can actually come to fruition as being created in the image of the divine, in the image of God, is actually through marital intimacy, where we become one flesh, where we mirror the divine as being, uh, as, as having both a male and female aspect. Uh, the, you know, I referenced earlier the high priest on Yom Kippur. Uh, one of the prerequisites for a high priest was to be married and was to be a man who had a wife and, and had a marital sexual life. Uh, so we not only are a little bit more comfortable, we understand this to be... In many ways, the holiest thing human beings can engage in.
0: Now, Ruth from Brooklyn has a question, though, that may contradict that. And let's let's see what what you've got for her. Um, she says, "If we're not able to actually purify ourselves in the mikvah from intercourse, not when I'm menstruating, but in general, then what should I be doing to purify instead?" And I think the implications of no,
1: Jewish law. Yeah, there there is no necessity to do anything to purify,
0: even though in the in the Torah there's a a mandate to, to do that in temple times.
1: That was, that's correct. But that is only surrounding entrance into the temple.
0: Okay. Let's, let's have another listener question uh, for, for you, Rivka. Uh, and then we've, we've got a bunch of good ones. Uh, what about after menopause? Uh, do you just stop going to the mikvah if you're a woman?
1: It's a very important question. It's necessary to go one final time after menopause, or I'll just say after for instance, a woman who has to have a um, have her uterus removed—I um, don't know why I'm blanking on the name of the procedure. Help me here. Um, Is that a hysterectomy? No, a hysterectomy. Yeah, a hysterectomy. Thank you. Um, she has to go to the mix after that. She has to go one final time. Now, a lot of people often ask, "Well." What if I want to continue doing this? Because for couples who keep this ritual, we haven't talked at all about, you know, what this feels like in real life. And, of course, you know, it's a ritual that demands discipline like so many others. On the other hand, it's a ritual that in very real time and in very visceral ways is seen as beneficial to the, um, to the marriage, to the relationship. It keeps it fresh. It keeps titillation alive into the marriage, even after you've been married to the same person for three or four decades, because there's always a time where you're pulling apart, and there's that return. And a lot of people want to continue that, or they miss that. Um, but here's the thing. You know, the Torah, the Jewish religion, is very big on the notion of havdalah, which literally means separation, Mm -hmm. meaning that there's delineation. There are things to do at certain times. Between different
0: different times and different practices. Yeah, things
1: to do in certain places, things to do by certain people, and so on and so forth. So there's a time for this, and there's a time for um, mickfa as part of the marital cycle to Mm cease. And um, by that time, hopefully, if they've lived together for many years, they've... uh, They've gotten used to a certain rhythm, a certain cycle. And if they've married at a more mature date, uh, they'll find that they will they will find their rhythm. They'll find their groove. But it's not something a woman has to continue doing after menopause.
0: We're going to take after our last After
1: she's gone one last time.
0: Gotcha. We're going to take our last break. we some really good additional questions that are poured in. I'm going to just lean into these listener questions. Some of them are on my list as well. I'm going to give out the number one last time in case you want to text in a question or comment on ritual immersion the Mikvah, Judaism, Baptism in the Christian Faith 917-428-4062 to text that in or to WhatsApp it in and to call 718-303-9090 we'll be right back with Rivka Slonim and Professor David Weddle Mikvah music. <laughs> Equal Footing has been brought to you for years now by Mechanical Art Capital. Yeah, it's only for a specific number of you listeners, but for those of you that are watch lovers, you have timepieces in your safe, or even if you're in the business, in the watch or jewelry business, this is really relevant. Mechanical Art Capital provides. Overnight, really easy financing. It's not a loan. It's a purchase of your collection or inventory, but then you can buy it back at very reasonable price levels. It's a good way to get financing to addition on the house, grow your, your business, whatever it might be, especially if you've got really valuable time pieces, put that money to work. Call Mechanical Art Capital and find out more. 833-2090972. That's 833-2090972 or and this, I'd recommend it's easier. You can also just download the Mechanical Art Capital app at mechanical space art space capital, three words, mechanical art capital on your iPhone app store or on your Android device app store. And you can just upload photos of the watches that you want to get financing on. And again, max two days, usually overnight, you can get financing. You can also go to the website, mechanicalartcapital.com. <laughs>
1: I've been cold, I'm keeping
2: on, keeping
0: on. T- Alright, we got some cool questions here. Uh- Professor Weddle, I feel a little bit better since I usually have, I'm a little more shy when it comes to the questions to to you when it comes to the non-Jewish faiths. And this is a question uh, that comes through from Daryl in Chicago. And it's similar to one I had pregame, which is, it seems like baptism is of really different grade of importance for different Christian faiths or denomination. Why? First of all, is Daryl right? And if so, why?
2: I'm sorry. Is there a, Right. Did you
0: say meaning I th- what he's asking is a question that I have as well Is it seems that the practice of baptism is much more important, much more, much more important in certain denominations of Christianity, um, whether it be Catholicism or Protestant uh, denominations. And, and if is that correct, is it of different level of importance? And if so, why? Uh,
2: no, I would say all Christian denominations practice baptism as an initiation into the church, but they practice it in such different ways that one might get the feeling that it's less important in some denominations than others. The Baptist okay. denominations right, are are the ones that practice full immersion, uh, which is the topic of our program. When you say today, the Baptist,
0: but, that's like the Baptist church.
2: Yes, there are about 300 separate Baptist denominations in okay. the United States. Uh, but most Christians, Roman Catholics, practice sprinkling, and that's because they are primarily baptizing infants. This, in the Orthodox Church, there is a practice of pouring water on the head of the infants. Uh, Baptists... Baptist churches are the ones who practice full immersion. Um, and so you might suppose that baptism is more important in those churches, but in fact it has the same symbolic and initiatory value as in the other denominations.
0: So the sprinkling is symbolic of total immersion?
2: Uh, sprinkling is an accommodation
0: mm-hmm.
2: to baptizing infants. Rifka does, so in, Does this accommodation so exist
0: it, in, in Judaism? Is there is, when you're do first of all, can you talk about the Rifka like talk about the Rifka. Rivka can you talk about you can tell I'm getting close to the end of the show to try to squeeze stuff in. Can you talk about the mikvah as it as it pertains to you know the, the child getting uh, circumcision or other times when it's a when it's a baby, when does that happen and 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 can you sprinkle as opposed to immerse? Yeah, there's
1: no tie between circumcision and immersion in a mikvah per se. Uh, but for an infant who's being converted to Jewish faith or a young child, uh, they would be taken into the mikvah with one of their parents and would be submerged, completely submerged under the waters for just an instant and then taken out immediately.
0: So there's never an accommodation? No. Uh, no. Yeah, I meant conversion. Okay, and... We've got a, I want to hit some of these questions because they're really good. Um, a listener asked the mis- I heard on the show that the mikvah is said to symbolize the womb and the tomb at the same time. How can it symbolize both life and death at the same time?
1: Well, we're talking about two instances in the cycle of life where the person is not in control. Um, the fetus is completely dependent upon the mother uh and the soul bereft of the body or disencumbered from the body is completely dependent on a higher source. Um, so in both cases we're we're talking about that same idea I refer to as the self self abnegation of that sense of power and prowess and self importance that so obfuscates uh godliness for so many of us during our lifetime.
0: Professor, what's your answer to this listener on the question of how can it symbolize both life and death at the same time, in this case, a baptism experience?
2: Well, it's not at the same time. (laughs) That's the point. Entering into the water is one act, and that is being submerged and dying to one's old life. Okay. Coming out of the water is the second stage, and that is the entrance into new life. So, as I said earlier, early Christians practiced nude baptism so that one came out of the water in the same state as a newborn child.
1: Okay. Uh, Doug, there's one other thing I want to say to your listener who's perplexed about this. From a theological perspective, there's no life and death of a soul. A soul is an aspect of God, it's a fragment of God, it has eternal life, and so what we very often refer to as afterlife should really be understood as higher life. And so really in both cases, in utero and at the other portal of life, in the grave, the soul is alive, Mm -hmm. the soul is there, but it's suspended in a space where it feels its complete abnegation before a higher force. And that's what we try to kind of simulate by physically completely submerging in the waters of the mikvah.
0: This it's kind of
1: the opposite between, of finding yourself; it's about losing yourself. Uh,
0: that that actually resonates with me, and I think the uh, this discovery, at least for me on this show, uh, around this this um, this concept of self kind of abnegation or losing yourself which i always found very attractive in the eastern faiths this idea of kind of meditating to the point where you kind of leave your body or you're you're kind of getting out of your your mundane reality I always, I've always, I've had a lifetime of kind of really searching for that in Jewish mysticism. And I just want to thank you, Rivka, for tying that into the mikvah for me. And well, you know,
1: it's so connected to what we said earlier about sexuality not being something for button and not seeing marriage as a concession to the weakness of human flesh, but rather seeing it as the apex of human spiritual expression. Um, So it's not about, you know, divorcing and divesting yourself from physical life and going on top of the Himalayas and meditating on your navel. It's about living in this world, but living in a way where you're elevating every aspect of
0: it. You know, we've done shows in the past with comparative shows around Buddhism, for example, and and Judaism, and I even think someone traversing an Eastern faith would probably say the same, that it's not about going to the top of the mountain. Really, it's about that experience in daily life. It's a beautiful connection. There have been mirrored uh, questions from two listeners that have come in, one from a Christian perspective, one from a Jewish perspective. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here for time. But both are asking about voluntary use. Uh, Both are saying in their own language that it's been beautiful to hear about um, the role of the mikvah or the baptism experience and both seem to not have had that experience in their lives. By the way, little footnote, only about 10% of American Jews go with any regularly to regularity to the mikvah. So what would you each say about a kind of, I don't know how to say voluntary use. Let's start with you, professor. Well, let's say someone um, who's listening is Christian is just like, I want to have that spiritual experience of a baptism. Can you just like opt into that? At any point in your life? And I would, uh, well, ask a question a little bit differently to you, Rivka. Let's start with you, Professor Weddle. I think you're on mute. All right. Let's start with you, Rivka, then, (laughs) because we're not hearing Professor Weddle. Can, if you're not used to going to the mikvah, and let's say it's not at a moment, let's say you're a man, it's not necessarily right before Shabbos, there's no really mandate to do it. Is it okay to just go to the mikvah and have that experience?
2: Well, now, are you asking?
0: Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. That question was for Rivka because I couldn't I couldn't hear you before. Let's we'll get to you in a second. Professor, Rivka, for the for the Jew that wants to just experience it without, let's say, a reason. Is that okay? Rivka, are you there? Yeah,
1: she, Ooh, she may I'm be so on sorry. me. Yeah. So sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I was talking before about this notion of havdalah, separation of delineation. So for a man to opt in, quote unquote, go to the mikvah just because, is somewhat counterintuitively less problematic from the perspective of Jewish law, precisely because there's no biblical mandate for him to go. And so there could be less confusion. Um and less smudging of of, of, of you know, let's just say delineation between what is necessary and what is not in Jewish law. So a Jewish man could actually go, I don't know, every single day before he prays. Many do this in more mystically rooted communities. For a woman, precisely because there is such an important, I mean, this is a pivotal biblical mandate, um, it's, it's not that simple for a woman to just waltz into the mikvah and go just because. In the same way that we don't really engage in, in any of the really important Jewish rituals just when we want to because we want to.
0: Right. I love that explanation you gave earlier about Havdalah and separation. Professor, we're just running out of time, but I think the question, in a sense, is perhaps less intuitive or more interesting on the Christian side. If you, if you want to have a baptism experience, um Can you ask your 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 priest or your your spiritual caregiver to do that in the, in the, in generally in the Christian faiths?
2: Well, only if you are doing it in order to be initiated into the Christian community so baptism uh, is a one time matter it 's a sacrament. Once you undergo baptism, you do not undergo it again. Now, the one exception to that would be during the Reformation period when Protestants renounced their baptism as children in the Roman Catholic Church and were rebaptized as adults. These are the Anabaptists, uh, present-day Mennonites and Amish. But in general, baptism is a one-time thing. However, renewal and confirmation of the pledge to keep the Christian life that is something that is to happen on a on a regular basis to renew one's baptismal vows
0: interesting yeah it goes back to that 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 difference it's much more of a once-in-a-lifetime or twice-in-a-lifetime type of experience in the christian faith professor weddell i want to thank you so much as always for giving us your perspective rifka Slonim. Your erudition is amazing across various subjects. Thank you for educating us tonight on the mikvah. Hope to have you both on again in the future. Thank you.
1: Have a good evening, and thank you for having me, Dove. And nice meeting you, Professor.